Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, I thank you so much that you've brought us together again as you have today. Lord, I pray that I'd not get in the way of anything you plan to do, but that you would speak and lead us into all truth, to the glory of Christ's precious name alone. Amen. Today, we'll complete our study in the book of Psalms and the words of hope God speaks to our hearts through them. What a joy it's been to meet with you every week and to learn about the God who loves us and who graciously supplies everything we need in this life and in the life to come. I trust that you know more about him now than when we first began and that your love for him has deepened. The first psalm for today is Psalm 62, and it probably isn't as well known as some of the others we've looked at. It's one that David wrote much later in his life, and it reflects a wisdom that can only come from long and painful experience. It's a short psalm, but it speaks to where I hope we'll all find ourselves as we end our study. David begins Psalm 62 with a very interesting word, truly, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. The word truly can also mean only, and it makes every word that follows more intense. It indicates a conclusion that has been arrived at by very serious thought. It is something the speaker knows to be absolutely true. David had come to the settled belief that God alone was his rock, his salvation and his fortress. No one else could be depended on. In God and God alone, he would find rest. The expression finds rest in is the word waits in other versions. Both carry the idea of being silent and still. David is saying that his soul was quiet before the Lord, his mind, his emotions, and his will were at peace. He didn't need to pour out his fears as we saw him do in the cave of Adullam in Psalm 142, or cry before the Lord for answers as he did in Psalm 57. This time, David had no doubt that God was with him. He had a quiet, confident faith in the God who had been with him in the past and who would continue to be with him in the present, no matter what it looked like. In fact, the header for Psalm 62 in many Bibles reads, A Psalm of Quiet Confidence in God. Several scholars have suggested that this psalm refers to a time in David's reign when his son Absalom actually rose up in rebellion against him, hoping to take the crown from his father's head. Though we cannot go into all of the details of the story, Absalom and David's relationship had been strained for some time when Absalom began to quietly undermine David's rule. 
He gathered followers by making promises of what he would do if he were king. And then he and his army of traitors actually marched against his father in Jerusalem, forcing David and his entire household to escape to the wilderness. Those certainly must have been hard times for David. He not only had to face disloyalty from former friends, he had to suffer the deep pain of betrayal at the hands of his own son. David had been king for many years at this point, and once again he was on the run for his life. Once again he was in hiding among the rocks in the wilderness. But this time David's heart was quiet. Truly, he knew God alone was his refuge and salvation, no matter what man might do. And with that settled in his heart and mind, David could then look at what was happening to him with the proper perspective. He had the right measure of his challenges and wasn't afraid of them. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. His enemies thought David was in a very weak position, ripe for pushing over like a broken wall or fence. However, he knew what they were like and how they were operating. And though his heart must have been broken by what was happening, we see him do as he'd done earlier. He talked to his own soul, reminding himself of what he'd already settled in his heart. And he repeated his earlier words there in verse 5, saying, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. David knew where his help came from, and he put his trust in the Lord. Another psalmist wrote of his own experience in coming to peace with hard circumstances and difficult people. Asaph described his conflict in Psalm 73, and I want to look at what he said. He begins by describing his struggle at what God seemed to be allowing. Verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? How does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure 
and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Asaph struggled with the problem that's common to all Christians at one time or another. He struggled to understand why many righteous people so often seem to be pressed down on every hand, struggling for the necessities of life, while openly arrogant and wicked unbelievers seem to prosper. In Asaph's case, he believed the wicked were free from common human burdens and always free of care. And he wondered if he'd kept his heart pure and remained true to God in vain. I want you to know, though, the temptation to think in this way comes from our adversary and that these thoughts are whispered into our minds by him. For the wicked will ultimately have to face God's judgment in this world or in the one to come. Listen to what the psalmist then says in verse 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. When Asaph began to truly seek God's understanding, he saw everything else more clearly. The wicked would be judged for their actions. I love the fact that it was as he entered the sanctuary of God that his heart came to rest on this matter. Worshipping the Lord has a way of silencing the voice of the enemy in our lives. He then goes on in verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. It's easy for us to envy the wicked who seem to prosper at every turn. Yet their day of reckoning will come when they will be brought down and swept away by God's judgment. As Asaph realized how foolish he'd been to undervalue his relationship with God, he finally entered that place of quiet confidence and rest, as he acknowledged in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Many of us can identify with both of these psalmists. We know what it is to watch others get by with things we would never do ourselves and to be wounded by them or left to wonder why they seem to prosper when we don't. Many of us have had to face disloyalty from former friends. Some have even had to suffer the deep pain of betrayal by a family member. 
There are times in life when our relationships with others don't work out as well as we thought that they would. For example, I remember being treated terribly unfairly by someone who was very close to me several years ago when my husband was battling cancer. To make matters worse, it was all done in the context of a church setting, with people presenting themselves as wonderful followers of Christ while at the same time treating me shamefully. It was difficult to bear, and I remember thinking at the time how I finally knew what the scriptures meant when they spoke of someone being broken-hearted. Their actions towards me had been so unexpected and so painful. One day, as I was weeping and praying about my circumstances, I had a picture come to my mind of Jesus coming towards me. He was holding out his hands to me in what seemed to be an invitation to come to him. I could clearly see the wounds on his hands and his bleeding side. As I looked, the words of Zechariah 13 verse 6 came to my mind. Lord, what are these wounds on your body? And he answered, These are the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. I suddenly understood that Jesus knows what it's like to be deeply wounded by others too. In fact, he endured the worst kind of betrayal and rejection, but his suffering was part of God's plan to bring about the greatest of all blessings, the purchase of our salvation. Surely if Jesus suffered, we will too, because after all, no servant is greater than his master. And when, like him, we endure injury at the hand of a friend, he comes to us with a loving embrace whispering that he understands and that, yes, even in this, he has a purpose and a plan for us. And I know this to be true because he had a purpose and a plan for me. David and Asaph had come to understand that life can be hard. People and circumstances can come against us and cause us to doubt, to fear, to wobble a bit perhaps, but we have a fortress, a refuge we can run to. Christ's arms are open wide to embrace us. He is the solid ground on which we stand, our mighty rock. We need not be shaken. Back in Psalm 62, David encourages others to trust God and not fear what man can do declaring in verse 8 that we should trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, and the highborn are but a lie. If weighted on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. It so often happens that those who manage to gain positions of power over others do so through dishonesty. And David here reminds us that no matter what their station in life or how they got there, in the final analysis, they are as nothing. Yet David understands the very human temptation to place our trust in anything that might offer a solution. So he warns us against turning to the world's wisdom in verse 10. Do not trust in extortion 
or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Verse 11 is a very common technique in this kind of poetry. You say something once and then you say it again to emphasize its truth. David wants us to remember two very important things. First, that God is the all-powerful one, the ultimate ruler and judge over all. And because that thought can be a terrifying one, David then reminds us that God is also a God of steadfast love. He has unlimited power, but that power is always governed by his infinite love. That's why his justice is always perfect. That's why we need never fear what man can do to us. And that's why we, like David and Asaph, can wait quietly in complete confidence before the Lord who never changes and who takes care of everything. There's a beautiful image of this kind of quietness in Psalm 131. This is another of the Psalms of Ascent, like Psalm 121 that we studied earlier. You remember the songs the children of Israel sang amongst themselves as they climbed the hills to worship in Jerusalem. David wrote in verse 1, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. If you're a woman who nursed children, you know how difficult the weaning process can be. Nursing babies are used to having their needs met immediately and can be downright angry if a mother doesn't give them what they want when they want it, right? Essentially, weaning a child is teaching that child to wait. And not just to wait, but to wait without fretting or fussing. Unlike a nursing baby, the weaned child can be around the mother without expecting immediate gratification. He or she has learned to calm and quiet themselves, fully confident that what they need will be there when it's needed, without their having to demand it or even worry about it. And that's what David meant when he said in Psalm 62 that his soul waited in silence for the Lord. He was fully confident that God saw his needs and would take care of him in all things. But I'll be honest with you, it takes a lot of strength and effort to remain quietly before the Lord, to still the fears and frustrations that arise, and to remind ourselves of just who it is we're trusting. And that's where I hope we all are as we end the study, in that place of quiet, confident trust before the Lord who loves us and gave himself up that we might know him and be with him eternally. Someone once said that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And you know, I think it's true. 
Because what you believe about God really determines everything in this life and in the life to come. As we end our time together, let me encourage you to pause and really think through what you believe about the Lord. The Psalms we've studied are the perfect place to start, so let's think back through them for a moment, just remembering what we've seen about God. Psalm 139 helped us to understand that the Lord loves and cares for us in everything because we're his special creations. We can never escape from his loving notice and care. There is never a place we can go where he is not. Psalm 23 revealed him to be our loving shepherd. He guides us and provides for our every need. He walks with us through the valleys of life, even the ultimate valley of the shadow of death. And he welcomes us into his home to be with him forever. Psalm 91 brought us his promise to rescue and protect us, to hide us under the shadow of his wings. He pledged himself to answer when we call and to bring us to salvation. Psalm 121 and 84 gave us a beautiful picture of the joy of walking with God, of experiencing that he is everything we desire and everything we would ever need. We saw that he wants to journey through life with us and that he has promised to not withhold anything that we need along the way. And he'll use all things, yes, even the difficult things of life, for our good and for his purposes. And we saw that he doesn't force his presence upon us. The choice to journey with him or not is completely ours. Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 revealed his faithfulness when we cry out to him in trouble. He's not surprised or angry with our distress and pain, but he welcomes our honesty and draws near to us wherever we are. Psalm 34 reminded us that his best work is often done in the darkest moments of our lives. Those dark times of separation teach us things about God we can learn no other way, for they have the ability to strip us of every misplaced dependency we might have to make us better followers of God. Psalm 51 and 32 taught us about God's mercy. When we turn to him in repentance, he forgives, cleanses, and restores. Psalm 103 presents God as the compassionate Father, who knows our weaknesses, who remembers that we are frail humans, and who renews our strength. Psalms 62 and 73 finally remind us that God is our refuge, our strength, and that He alone is our resting place. People may fail us, but we can trust in Him at all times. And Psalm 131 promises that as we quiet our souls before him, he gives a perfect peace that will truly guard our hearts and minds. In an earlier lesson, we spoke of a theme we saw emerging in the Psalms that because God is who he is, I have this particular hope. These are some of the words of hope God has spoken to me over these past weeks. Because there is no place I can go where God is not, 
I need not feel alone. Because God is with me, I need not fear. Because his faithfulness is my shield and rampart, I am on the most solid ground possible when I trust in his promises. Because my help comes from God, he is able to turn even my valley of weeping into a place of springs. Because he is my refuge, he hears me and will save me out of all my troubles. Because of his unfailing love, all my transgressions have been removed and he does not count my sin against me. He has redeemed my life from the pit. I'm crowned with love and compassion. Because he is my rock and my salvation, I will never be shaken. Because of his unfailing love, I will be shown mercy. He will hold me by my right hand and take me into his glory. Because of his might, I can rest in his presence. (laughs) Honestly, I could go on and on and on. I encourage you, though, to go back through these Psalms and do this for yourself. As you do, you will be building your own truly statements, just as David and Asaph did. And with those things settled, you too will be able to rest quietly and confidently before the Lord, no matter what you're facing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you have equipped us through the words of hope found in your Psalms. Lord, thank you for speaking to us in so many different ways over these past weeks. And Lord, it is my prayer that as we face trials, we will face them better than we did before. Lord, help us to share these truths with others so that they too may be encouraged as ever they face their own difficulties. Lord, we praise you and thank you so much for everything you've said but more than that, for who you are. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, and I hope you'll join us next time in the Word. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.